Now, we're going to go on a journey this morning. We're going to go on a long, long journey. You know, in the, in the time in, that the um, Psalms were written, Proverbs were written by David, king of Israel. During that period of time, people they didn't have the kind of light, big cities that we have now so they could see what we in the country are privileged to see, and that is at night we can see the stars. And we go outside in darkest of dark night, and uh, it's not cloudy, and you look up and you see that array of stars. It's so wonderful to look at, to see. I walk down the driveway a little bit uh, when I'm taking the dog out late at night, and I look up, and there's the Big Dipper. And so I've always enjoyed looking at the Big Dipper, and I'm not alone. In the uh, When the scriptures were being written, when there was an effort to try to explain something that was uh, unexplainable or count something that you couldn't count, they would refer to the stars in the heavens or the sand of the seashore. When Joseph was accumulating corn before the seven years of famine in Egypt, and he was storing this corn, and they couldn't count the corn that he was storing, so they said it was compared to as the sand of the seashore. Innumerable. Uh, when the Philistine army or when armies would invade and there would be large numbers that you couldn't count the numbers of them, they would refer to the assembled uh, army as, as the sand of the seashore in number, uncountable. When uh, Isaac was called Take, uh, when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac on one of the mountains that he would be shown. Genesis 22 and about verse, tw- uh, verse 17, it says, uh, the Lord said, And in blessing I will bless thee, and I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And again, the idea is that I'm going to bless you in such a way that uh, you won't be able to count your blessings and I will multiply your posterity in such a tremendous amount that you won't be able to count them. It will be innumerable. And there was no other way to compare this except to look at the expanse of the heavens and say, I can't count them all, and to look at the sand of the seashore and say, I can't count all the grains of sand. Now, the 21st century, people are trying to do that very thing that you can't do. We're trying to count the number of stars and we're trying to count the grains of sand on the seashore. And we're making progress, but we're not there yet. And with all due respect, we'll not get there, but we're trying to get there. And we're making progress. 2015, this is published in National Geographics, 2015. And this goes back to 1995. In 1990, the Hubble Space Telescope was launched and put in low Earth orbit in 1990. It had a problem with the, with the main mirror. It was ground imperfectly by nanosec- nano, nan- nanometers or whatever it is called in terms of width or dimension. And so it had to be uh, remedied. And uh, so they sent up, brought it into the bay of the of the space vehicle and they made adjustments to it and after they made the successful adjustments they could bring into proper focus what previously was blurred in image. So what happened is one of the uh, individuals who was responsible for Hubble and had a lot of influence said that what happened if we would take Hubble and 
point its um, eyes or camera in an area of space that we can't see anything. What we can see, but we'll point it in a direction where we can't see anything. And others said, that's not a good idea. You're wasting valuable usage of time. And he said uh, he had some clout, and so he said, well, I'll stake my reputation on it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to make this decision. So what happened was be, for 100 hours between December the 18th and 28th of 1995, this is five years after it was launched, it stared at a patch of sky near the Big Dipper's handle that was only about 1 30th as wide as the full moon. So if you took the full moon and you divide it up into 30 sections, equal sections, it would be one of those sections. And some have described this as something like uh, taking a grain of sand, putting it on your finger, and looking at the grain of sand and the amount of sky that is blocked out from your vision by that grain of sand, something like the small sliver of sky that they pointed and focused the cameras of Hubble on in 1995. It says, in total, the telescope took 342 pictures of the region, each of which was exposed for between 25 and 45 minutes. The images were processed and combined, then colored. Seventeen days later, they were released to the public. It turned out from these images that nothing, nothing was actually stuffed with galaxies, not stars, well, stars, but galaxies. More than 3,000 of them they could count. And these 3,000 galaxies came flooding into view, and uh, some of them were roughly about 12 billion years old. It's very interesting how the calculus works in terms of trying to determine how old these galaxies are. Uh, we'll not try to get into that because we get in over our heads. We don't want to do that. We want to go on a little, drum, a little journey this morning. We don't want to drown in information. And some of these uh, galaxies were spiral galaxies, like our galaxy is, spiral. Some were elliptical, irregular. Some were red, white, blue, and yellow. The smudges of light that uh, leapt from the final composite image cracked the universe or opened up the universe in ways scientists never could have imagined. So David wrote about these things. And all the thinkers of the past and inhabitants of our planet going back in time have all looked and wondered and marveled. And the only thing they could do by comparison is try to compare the starry sky and the numbers of the stars with uh, the grains of sand. So not long after that, Williams, this person responsible for the experiment, his experiment was repeated in a different patch of sky in the southern constellation to Kenna, and he came to be called the Hubble Deep Field South. And in 2004, a million second exposure, see if you can do your math on a million seconds. I'm going to ask you, this is a test, it's going to be on the test. <laughs> How many days is a million seconds? I'm going to call you by name here in just a minute. I said, get ready. <laughs> it says it was filled, this view was filled with even more galaxies than the original. And in 2012, the combining of 10 years of ultra-deep field exposures produced 
what's called the Hubble Extreme Deep Field. The Hubble Extreme Deep Field. And you can look at videos now. All these pictures that have been placed into a kind of a video so that you can, as it were, be the eyes of Hubble as you travel through deep space. And we're going to do a little bit of that this morning for a few minutes. Not very long, because after a while it's just like, wow, I mean... You can only be, you only have so many wows in you, right? You only have so many wows. So we're going to wow you for about 11 minutes rather than an hour and two hours or three hours. We'll just wow you for 11 minutes. But we're going to do that, and what we're going to look at is what is actually there, not just some figment of somebody's imagination of what might be there. But we're going to look at what actually has been photographed as being there. And we're going to be like the eyes of Hubble, and we're going to travel through that. And what we're going to look at in a few moments is we're going to look at, we're going to assume that we have left planet Earth and we have traveled with the eyes of Hubble deep into space. And then we're going to return and come back. So we'll be on the part of the return. Now it says these images have offered a glimpse, a glimpse of the hundreds of billions of galaxies that fill the universe. And one of the leading individuals involved at uh, NASA at the Goddard Space Flight Center said that gives me and many people pause to be quiet and contemplate this majestic universe we live in and be grateful we have a chance to look at it. But this is the thing. While we're being quiet, while we're pondering, and while we're looking at the majestic, a little bit of the majestic universe that we live in, just a little wee bit we're looking at, we have to be very careful that what we bring to that should be objective. It should be objective and it should be truth-seeking. We should not be trying to shoehorn science or information into our preconceived ideology, no matter what it is. I found a long time ago that in the same way as what um, Abraham did when he brought Isaac his son Isaac, and this is, you know, you're thinking, people say, well, God would actually uh, command Abraham to sacrifice his son, human sacrifice, by my, my, the lesson here is that the blessing on Abraham, which was so plenteous that you could only compare it to the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore, was predicated on the idea of offering up that which is yours and offering up that which is your most prized possessions or that which you have that you prize most highly. And you offer that up to the Lord. Why? So that he can bless it. He blesses what is offered. And that's the reason, that's the story, that's the teaching point, is I will bless what you offer me. And if you offer me your sons and your daughters and your children and your houses and your lands and you really offer those up to me. So, and, and the idea is that you're, you're, you offer them up, that you're willing to part with them and give me sole possession of them. You're willing to do that, and I'll bless you. I don't need them, but you need to give them to me. Not because I need them, but because you need to give them to me. I think it's that kind of attitude that we need to bring with us as we go on these kinds of journeys and look for this kind of information. So I'll read a few scriptures now from the pen, if you like, or whatever David used to write with, quill, whatever it might have been. 
And the first one I'll read with you is from Psalm 8. And it says, O Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. What speed do you read when you read the scriptures? What speed do you read at? I remember a young man a few years ago. I was encouraging him to read the scriptures. I always do that. And I was encouraging him to read the scriptures. And he wanted to kind of report back and tell me that, yeah, I was reading the scriptures. And last night I read and he gave me this long. (laughs) He read and I didn't, I mean, I wasn't going to discourage him or anything because I was encouraging him to read the scriptures, but I really didn't want him to speed read the scriptures. I wanted him to read the scriptures slowly. I wanted him to understand what was being said. It says, O Lord, our Lord. Have you ever sometimes read and you just can't get by a verse? And people say, I read the Bible through every year. And I do this and there's program reading and I read so I just have never been able to do that, like that way. Never have been able to do that, that way. I don't do that. Never have one time done that. Now, if you do that, that's fine. I'm not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. What I would say, though, is read with a hungry heart and mind. Savor what you read. Earnestly desire to understand and comprehend and have this be a dialogue with you. He says again, because I often do this, I often read the same thing over several times. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Now here's something that's so fascinating and so important. Because some people think that heaven is some planet out there. And it's not. Say, oh, how do you know? I'm just going to tell you, that's my opinion, it's not. As innumerable as all of this is. Yet God and his habitation is outside of the realm of time and space. Outside, beyond. Responsible for speaking all this into existence. Is he able to enter into it? Yes. Yes. Can he enter into time and space? Yes. Is he limited to time and space? No. What exists outside of time and space then? What exists outside of that which we cannot count and cannot measure? A lot. A great deal. Eternity exists outside but can enter into but is not limited by or to and can exist and does exist outside. He says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Then David wrote this, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, and David could only see just as we do, only a small a very small part of what is there. And we think sometimes because we can see that that's, you know, beyond which we can see doesn't exist. Something, somehow, whatever we can see, that's all there is. And that's not true. 
So he said, when I consider all the work of your hands, the heavens, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, this I, I think David is not saying what many times people think he's saying. I don't think he's just trying to say that we are so insignificant. Because you see, what we often go to is we look at the vastness of it and then we say, oh, how insignificant we are, how tiny we are. And we are like nothing. That's not the message of the Bible, that we are nothing. We are something. And we are something very, very important. And David recognizes that God is interested, not only interested, but loves us and focuses on us and gives attention to us and speaks to us and invites us to speak to him. And he's just marveling when he looks at what he could see of God's handiwork and saying, what is man? What are we that you are mindful of us and the Son of Man that you visit that you visit us? What are we? See, this is the idea. What are we? He's not saying we're nothing. He's saying we are something, but just what are we? What are we intended for? What is our purpose? Very different, isn't it? And of course, this is what the Bible talks about, is what our purpose is and shows us a great deal of who we really are in Christ Jesus and what we are designed and intended to be. And I'm tempted this morning to launch into a little area that I think I'll just resist that temptation. I'll just give you a hint. I'll just give you a little hint. A number of years ago, we had a very difficult year where we lost several of our pets on the one year. And when time comes for our pets to to say goodbye to our love, you know, our pets. And nowadays our pets are part of our family and we love them. And I suppose we always have, but it seems as if our relationship with our pets now is much different than one I remember when I was a boy. When you grew up on a farm, your relationship with the animals and with even with the pets is not maybe quite the same as it is now. And so I was grieving. And I wondered, why am I grieving? Why am I grieving? So I began to have a conversation with the Lord in terms of why I was grieving. And, and I went into a series of questions and the same thing began to happen then as happens when I find myself preparing a Bible study or a talk or a discourse from Scripture. The same thing. And I went through, I led through and one day, if the time is right, I'll share that with you a little bit. But it relates to this idea of what is man that thou art mindful of him? What are we intended to be? What will we be like in the eternity that awaits us? What will we be like? That's what it relates to. So one day when the time is right, we'll talk about that. Again in Psalm 147, the psalmist write, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is a pleasant and praise is comely. Praise is appropriate. Praise, worship. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. He tells the number of the stars 
I'm going to offer you a number this morning. What I notice, notice uh, about the number is the number has been increasing and increasing and increasing. And when I first started to talk about this, we had a, estimated we had something like 100 billion galaxies and maybe 100 billion stars in the galaxies. And those numbers have just gone nothing but up. Up, 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 and away. <laughs> and they're still going up. But it says he tells the number of the stars. Not only does he tell the number of the stars, he calls them all by their names. Do you have a wow left? See, it invites, uh, this invites praise. This invites worship. This invites adoration. But it also invites the question, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that you take an interest in him. Then he says, great is our Lord and uh, of great power. His understanding is infinite, infinite. Now that means it has no boundaries, no limitations, has no beginning, has no end. It's infinite. Psalm 148 and uh, the psalmist begins, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, he said. Praise the, ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels, all his angels praise him. Praise ye him, all his hosts, all of his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. And they do. And they do. So now let me come to January the 16th in 2017. Just, well, it's three years ago now. And this, is, uh, this was published in the, uh, written by Lindsay. The article is written by, uh, written by Lindsay Brooke of the Royal Astronomical Society. And it says, an international team of astronomers led by Christopher Consolis, professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham, found that the universe contains at least, listen to this now, found that the universe contains at least two trillion galaxies. Galaxies. Ten times more than previously thought. The team's work appears in the Astrophysical Journal today. So it is estimated now, and you know these numbers are just going to do nothing but increase. So uh, we're still counting, and the scripture says <laughs> you can't count them; <laughs> that they're innumerable, and that's why the uh, comparison is used to the stars of heaven and to the sand uh, of the seashore. We have a better, I think, chance of counting the grains of sand than we do of counting the stars of the heavens. But I don't know. See. I don't know. I just worship the Lord when I think about these things. The idea now is that uh, we have uh, two trillion galaxies. These are galaxies. So how many stars? And the idea now is that we have a septillion stars. You know how many that is? That's 10 followed by 24 zeros. It's a trillion, trillion. It's a trillion, trillion stars. And you know there's more than that. You know there's more than that. Well, here's the thing about it, is that all the stars in the observable universe, we know this about all the stars, 
All the stars have at least one planet orbiting it. All the stars have at least one planet. Of course, like our sun, star, sun, has several. And most have several. But they all have at least one. So if there are septillion stars, then how many planets are there orbiting those septillion stars? How many planets are there? Well, there's several septillion. Maybe there's ten, maybe there's five, maybe there's three, whatever it is. And also what we have found is that uh, there's a certain percentage of these planets that are in the so-called Goldilocks zone. You know, the, the zone that where the temperature would be such that you could have liquid water, which is possible for life. Now, there's other factors here. But the percentage in the so-called Goldilocks zone or habitable zone is 25% of the planets. So there you go. You're talking about trillions of tr trillions of possible planets in a so-called habitable zone orbiting a star. So here's what we really want to know. How many of those have life on them? How many of them have life on them? Have we found planets that could have life on them? Yes. Yes, we have. Orbiting stars. And they could have life. But so far, all of these great hopes and dreams of finding life on planets, they fi they're finding planets that are po po you know, possibly could have life. What they're looking for is a planet that has water. Oh, if we could only find one that has oxygen on it oxygen and the ways in which the chemistry of planets is determined is just mind-boggling and it's fantastic. We have some brilliant scientists but the brilliance of the most brilliant scientists just fade, fade in insignificance in terms of the brilliance of our God. So we, do, we haven't found that. We can't find that. Is it possible that there's no life like intelligent life, like ourselves in the universe, except here? Is that possible? So if you come at this from a purely scientific, secular scientific point of view, you say it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. This universe is teeming with life, intelligent life. Much of it, much more advanced than are we. Where's the evidence for that? It doesn't exist yet, but we're sure to find it. Well, let's find it. It's also possible that there's not that there isn't any other life like ours, any place in this universe, but only here. That's possible. So what we're going to do for the next eleven minutes now is we're going to go on a little journey, and this is called the deep field, the impossible magnitude of our universe. And again, assume, presume with me this morning that we have left the Earth because the beginning of this video presentation, again. Place yourself as the eyes of Hubble, not Hubble itself, because it stays in a low Earth orbit. But its eyes go out into deep space. And it's brought back all of these pictures that we'll look at. And uh, these galaxies that we'll look at. It has already left the Earth and has already gone out into deep space, deep, deep space. And now we're going to find ourselves coming back. So, Pat, would you play that for us?
we came, we saw, we didn't land, we left. We left. So when I suggested that we might be going on a little journey, perhaps we didn't understand the extent of the journey that we would be going on. I think sometimes it's good for us just to lift up our eyes and see the big picture of things and realize that uh, the complexity and the huge picture of things is not random. It is very much designed. It is controlled. And the name of every star is known. And he calls it by name. This material universe in the future as we go ahead is not going to disappear, but it will be remade. Be remade. The earth will be remade. And the heavens will be remade. And what will that be like? And one of the things that people are struggling with now is how do you get to these different planets, even if you found one that was like ours? It would be so far away that you'd never be able to get there. And so they're trying to devise propulsion, ways of propelling ourselves through space. And the speed of light is about as fast as anything we can think of, but yet even to come from the sun to the earth is eight minutes. So we see the sun, but that's the way the sun looked eight minutes ago. So it's still going to take more time than we have to travel there. Let me offer you this thought. What if we were remade? What if we're made like unto himself and have a body like the body that the Lord Jesus Christ has now? And I can in this moment, and so can you, if there's, they talk about this big bang, they talk about this beginning And I think there's a lot that's unknown about this Big Bang and a lot of views that are not accurate about it, but that there was a beginning, we know, of this universe. But you can think about the beginning of the universe and you can think in your mind about an explosion of somehow dense matter. This is a prevailing theory that everything was contained in something that was too small to see. And that all that matter and Velocity and energy just began to explode. And you have a consequence of that. You have space and you have time. Space-time dimension. But you can think about that. And that isn't any further away in your thought than thinking about that chair that's next to you or the person sitting next to you or about the screen or about anything that's happening right now. In your thinking, they're all one's as quick as the other. But in terms of travel, as we come into what has been provided for us in the future, is we're talking about a kind of being and body and and person that we cannot fully imagine without limitations the way we are now. And to think about a place is to be at the place. To consider it is to be there. Wrap your mind around that. Think about that. The the problem of propulsion has been resolved. I have no idea what it's all going to be like. But we have from time to time little slivers and little glimpses of information 
number of years ago, I think this was about 1998, we were watching a Bill Gaither homecoming video, which we have them all. I've said that many times. We have them all. And we were watching one of them in 1998. There's a husband and wife there, sitting there. We'd not seen them before. His name was Merle Ewing, Merle Ewing. And he and his wife wrote this song, and they sang it there at that homecoming. And the name of the song they wrote was, He Saw Me. He Saw Me. So what we're going to do, we're going to go back to 1998, and we're going to observe this now as we close. Merle Ewing and his wife, to the best of my knowledge, his wife is still living, but Merle went to be with Jesus in 2010 on the last day of the year, 31st of December, 2010. They were pastoring a church in Louisiana, and he went to be with Jesus. I think he was 68 years old. But here he is singing and presenting this song. His wife is sitting there with him, and they both wrote it. And it's called He Saw Me, and we're going to close with this. Stepped a pure and holy God And in awesome solitude He stood alone Not one faint star to give him light Just endless rolling Blackest night But somehow Through all the darkness He could see He saw mountains high and lofty He saw valleys lush and green He saw babbling brooks, wildflowers grow Even heard a robin sing But he felt a strange compassion As close to love as pain can be Standing out there in his tomorrows He saw He saw me 
just like him Holy, spotless, white within. But he saw me bound in heavy chains and long to set me free. But he knew. If I became like him, he must become like me. Of that, what is that a beautiful song? Beautiful people. God bless you. bless you. God bless you. Now that is a very special song presented in a very special way, written in a very special way.
collaborative effort between a husband and wife. So Merle is with Jesus. By sharing with Pat this morning, I said that when I was a small boy, uh, infrequently we would go to Sault Ste. Marie, and that was a big deal when we'd go to the city when I was a boy. And I remember going with my mother, and we went for lunch. I can describe a little bit about the place we went for lunch. And then before we came home, we had to go into a couple of stores. And while we were in the store, and, you know, I wasn't accustomed to seeing stores every day. We didn't live in the sticks, but we lived pretty close to the sticks. (laughs) And so um, I was looking around and so on, and I looked back, and my mother wasn't there. And she had wandered around the corner, and I had been left looking at some shelf, and, and where's my mother? And I began to panic, you see, little boy, and I'm in a city, and I'm big city, and unfamiliar surroundings, and my mother has disappeared, and I don't know where she is, and I panic, and I rush around the corner, and oh, there she is, and I begin to relax on the inside, oh, there she is. Well, my mother, she's, 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 she's gone. She's gone around a corner, and I've lost sight of her, but I'm not panicking in the, sli- in, in, in the slightest. I'm not afraid at all. Because I know that when I go around that corner, which she has gone around, then I'm going to see her again. And what is that corner that I go around? And also, you know, I go around the corner, I'm going to see Merle too, you see. You're, you're going to see Merle. But what is that corner? Is that corner someplace in this universe? Well, everybody has their views. My view is no, it's not. No, it's not. It is a different dimension entirely than this. It is more real than this. It is eternal, whereas this is temporal. This has limitations in terms of time and space and navigation and propulsion and all that kind of thing. This realm that we're going into, where our loved ones have already gone, has no such limitations. The colors are are brighter. The greens are greener. The reds are redder. The flowers smell better than they do here. It is a real world more real than this one. But it is not in this one. My view, it's not in this one. Don't go looking in this universe for it. It doesn't exist in this one. It's outside of this one, beyond this one. It's beyond our complete comprehension, but not beyond our ability to look at a sliver of it. Not beyond that. That's where she is. That's where our Lord Jesus is. That's where we will be. And in one day, this is my own view, belief, personally, belief, I'll just share it with you. You're not locked into mine, but this is mine. One day, this veil that divides the two will be removed. There will be a removing of that in some way, which I do not understand. And that's part of the renewing of this, which I do not completely understand, but I anticipate seeing and understanding it. The limitations will be removed. That's what awaits us. That's what we have been rescued to enjoy and to inhabit.